Welcome to the Growing Together podcast, a show for inspiring conversation and practical steps to help your church become the church where all generations thrive. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and today my guest is Justin Ying. He's a young adult director at the Texas Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. He's worked as a missionary in India, the Philippines, China, Thailand, and Laos, and has spent several years as a ministries director for the Center of Youth Evangelism. So you were telling me the story of how you came to your church. And from what I understand, it was like dropping down on D-Day. You know, you're in a church that's kind of a hostile environment. People weren't excited for you being there. Give us give us the, the background details of the story. Yes, uh, in one of my first interviews with the church, when I went down, there was an elder that actually met me during potluck and pinned me to the wall and threatened me <laughs> to not come. Um, Say, so if you come, I'm gonna make your life miserable. Whoa! So that was my first first initial intro to this church that invited me to, <laughs> invited me to be their senior pastor. That, that's pretty um, bold because you're you're a big dude. You got a deep booming voice. Uh, was this guy kind of smaller than you? Was he bigger than you? Like, what was that? He was about the same size as me, <laughs> and uh, you know he was older. He was an eighty something elder that had a he was like their ringleader for about 50, 50 members of the church. Oh. And he really didn't like the idea of me coming. Okay, so he hates it. Not, why? Because you're young? Because of everything you represent? Uh, what's like? Why is he so antagonistic? He barely met you. Well, he has some other candidate in mind, and uh, he wanted that person to come. And he had a you know pretty influential role in the church, and it looked like that he wasn't going to get his way. Uh. And when I came down to do the interview, and the conference leadership was there. He just felt, you know, he, this was his last moment to make his mark, and he took it on me, wow. saying, if you come, and if you answer this call, you better know that you and your family, you guys will be miserable here. So, Whoa. yep. And yet you're like, this is, <laughs> this is exactly where God has called us to be. This is the church we want to serve. <laughs> so, you know, like we, we actually declined a few times. <laughs> Knowing the hostility and the culture that was there, I don't think anyone faults you for that. Right timing. Yeah, I think right. I think that everyone understands why you would do that. But yeah, eventually but, you show up and you're at this church now. And yeah. is he the only one who's like against you, or is is like are are other people sharing the same sentiments? Maybe they're not threatening you, but they they feel the same way. Yeah, they didn't completely understand the 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 I guess the reasoning behind why a younger second generation English speaking pastor had to come and lead this church mm. because they were so used to an older seasoned Korean speaking first generation pastor to be their senior pastor. And it was much easier to respect that pastor than a than a younger pastor that, you know, came. Almost their sons or daughters age. Oh. Uh, so because of the lack of understanding and probably the lack of communication that transpired when the decision was made, many of them were kind of in that um, zone huh. of uncertainty, confusion, almost loss. And, uh, you know, they were probably bitter to some of the church leadership as well, especially also the conference ministerial department because of what happened. Yeah. I'm thinking if I'm putting myself in in your situation and I have this like explicit threat and this kind of, I don't know, this antagonistic spirit towards me, when I show up on at, at location, I'm probably steering clear of them and just trying to find supporters, people who will rally with me that I can do ministry with. Um, and I'm just trying to steer clear of these people. Um, but 
I know a little bit of the background. You did not do that. You did almost the exact opposite. Is that right? Well, I actually did that for a short season. Oh, <laughs> what you just said. I tried to steer away and try to push okay. the agendas that you know that I had in mind to really empower the next generation. Did that work? But it did not work. See, it, this is uh, why I'm not a know. pastor. <laughs> okay, so it didn't work. Yes. You're pushing your own agenda. How did it not work? Why? Why was it not successful? There was a lot of opposition, and the board meetings ran two, three hours long. There was countless after discussions. And you know what I mean by after discussions. Oh, there's man. the board meeting, uh -huh. and then there's the meeting after board meeting. Oh, and there's many groups that are talking about different things. And, uh, you know, it just, it just wasn't working out. The culture was toxic. There was no love. There was no even sympathy. Oh, man. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it was, it was really kind of reeling out of control. Now, I just want to kind of point this out because I think that a lot of people listening might feel similarly. Maybe you're not a pastor, but I think that we can mm -hmm. all empathize with this idea that Justin is talking about. He's talking about uh, you have a mission, you have a vision of what God has called you to do, how you want to influence the church, and maybe your board, uh, your board is resisting you. Maybe the pastor is resisting you. Maybe your leaders in the church or whatever the case is. This is something I think many of us have encountered at some point in our life. Um, and you're saying, Justin, that dodging them and just doing your own thing doesn't work. You encounter opposition. I, I think we're all familiar with that storyline. But then something yeah. changes for you. How did you decide that this wasn't the way you wanted to continue going about it? You would do something different. Well, it was actually during my quiet time and in my devotions uh, that I actually distinctly, I don't know if I heard, but definitely felt God saying, hey, you need to visit that elder, Justin. The one who threatened you. And Yeah, the one who threatened me, the one who didn't greet me, the one who didn't recognize me as a pastor, wow. the one who wanted me to go away. And I said, why would I visit him? You know. Good question. <laughs> very, very good question for a pastor of the flock. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, God just told me, hey, just go. And he gave me an exact time frame. Wednesday, late morning. Oh, wow. Go and visit him. Um, that was the strong impression that I received. So that's, that started my journey in, wanting, in, in tracking my way wow. to his house to check on what he's doing and trying to have a conversation with him. Okay, so you show up. I'm guessing the, the elder in question wasn't excited to see you. Oh, no, I was actually rejected and shooed away for many months. I couldn't even enter his house. What? Yep. You know, these are the stories that you hear, you just don't think actually ever happened. Because, you know, it's good Christian people, you know, whatever. But, man, okay, so you're shoot away multiple months. Do you keep coming back? Like, what's what does that look like? Yeah, so, you know, in the beginning, you definitely prepare yourself and you try to kind of almost, you know, get yourself ready for this conversation that you're about to have. But when you're not even, you know, welcomed and he says, get off my property, I said, God, is this really worth it? Is this working? But there's always an impression on Wednesday morning, Justin, go, wow. go again. So I kept on going. And, uh, you know, you know, once you're rejected a few, few times, you have to change strategy. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, maybe he likes rice cakes. Uh, that's, so that was like immediately wife, what I was going to go to. Did you try bringing food? <laughs> maybe that would work. <laughs> right. So my, I asked my wife, who makes some really amazing, like hands down, one of the best rice cakes. I said, can you make me some for this elder? So I go and wave that little, you know, 
rice cake. I said, Elder, I came, I can't come in peace. Here's some rice cakes for you. Can we, you know, talk? And he still rejects me. Oh, no. And that's, that's another few months, you know. So that's a long journey for about, I think, nine months in. And then finally, and that's the breakthrough, after about nine months of flat-out rejection, he motions me in. And here's the critical, critical part. I'm not prepared. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting for him to actually welcome me in. And one of the first things that I did, if you want me to continue the story, is I go in, I shoot up a you know, quick prayer. What am I supposed to say to this guy? And I just ask him one question. And this is the one question I ask him. So, Elder, how did you end up in Atlanta? Huh. And that was the one question I asked him. And uh, he, for the next four hours, he told me his entire life story. Oh, my goodness. And, and uh, all I did was listen. Nice. <laughs> and I listened. And I listened. And he kept on going and kept on going. And I think that was the beginning of our relationship toward empathy with each other. Hmm. Um. So, I, I, I mean, my, I'm just so curious what he went through in life to be so predispositioned against you, to be so antagonistic. Like, wh when you were hearing his story, did things start to come together? Did you start to say, oh, okay, I see where he's coming from now? Oh, yeah. He was abandoned as a child. He was often beaten by his uh, father, who was, a, who was an alcoholic. Um, he didn't come to church later in life. He actually went through some one of the worst times through the Korean War. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's scars to show for it. Um, he was often the the person that was constantly beaten and also in the army um, due to his I guess there's some speech uh, I guess disability that he went through and he was made fun of. He was beaten so. Given the trajectory of all the pain that he went through, there's so much that was there that hadn't been healed, that hadn't been uh, empathized with. So he held all of that. But here's a, here's, here's a part. Even all through that pain, he was a self-made man. Hmm. Self-made man. So he came to the States, you know, hauled all his family with him, came with a few bucks in his pocket, but educated them all, them, all of them well, his sons and daughters are lawyers and doctors. He's now living in a you know pretty big sized house. So he's very proud of his accomplishments. Of course. Along that, he also built that church. Huh. So, you know, there's a lot to take in from his story because as you listen, you can't but understand, okay, this is his history, his trajectory. There's so much pain there, and there's also a lot of pride. So, so what did he see in you that like kind of surfaced? Why was he so against you? Was it because he thought that you were here to take away what he worked so hard for? Was there something deeper than that? Yeah, he, and this is also one of the taglines for the Growing Young Avenue's journey. What people fear isn't change, but loss. Mm. And he felt that he would lose almost everything he built because the the now the focus and the transition was to the next generation he thought he would be losing his status his position his influence everything he worked for and because he feared that loss and i was the the target in which everything would transpire he had he needed somebody to take it out take it out on so it had to be me 
And that was the nature of our relationship um, from, from the onset when I first came down for that interview. Wow. So, yeah. So if I'm doing my math correctly, you said about nine, nine months of getting the door slammed in your face. You went roughly every Wednesday. That's like 35 meetings where you attempted something, nothing happens, and all of a sudden the door opens and four hours later you've heard his entire life story. Was everything mm -hmm. fixed immediately from there or was there still a process, still a journey that you had to go through? You heard his story, but there was still trust that was ne needed to be built together. Right, so I, can't, I said I'll be I'll be here next Wednesday after the four hours. <laughs> Another four hour session. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, the the beauty of this story is I can't take credit for any of this because it was the Holy Spirit powerfully working on me to go back to the person that I didn't want to talk to. I didn't want another four-hour conversation, but I went back, and there was another three to four hours because he kept on telling me even some of the same stories, but he told me, uh, you know, what he wanted to tell me. Hmm. He wanted me to really know who he was and where he came from. And I would think, I think it's about four to five sessions or even six sessions of that. Wow. Then, then crisis began to emerge in his life where his wife needed a bypass surgery. And then he, be, and it was the first time he actually became very vulnerable with me. Uh, he said, Pastor, I need you. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for my wife. Wow. I need you to be at the hospital. And I took that as my, my opportunity, my chance to really go all out. I spent nights at the hospital. I listened to his every fear, every anxiety that he had. I prayed with him on multiple occasions. And that's when the trust began to form. Hmm. I, I'm curious if you give us an insight to what your thought process is during this time. Because, I mean, he's demanding a lot from you. I mean, even just the buildup yeah. of slam doors, that's, that's a lot of emotional tax, you know. Um, and then just to sit mm -hmm. there for hours and hours and all of a sudden be thrust into his life. Um, right. how, do you, how do you do that without burning out? How do you do that without the wife getting upset at you, spending nights at the hospital and everything else? Right. So, man, I'm glad that you brought, up, brought that up because there was a lot of things that, that I had to deal with internally. And this is why I say that I can't take credit for anything that transpired. Because it's almost as if you're actually watching yourself from a third angle. Mm. You do not want to be there. You'd rather be with your family. But you know that you were put there for a purpose. Huh. And, and, and you're just constantly asking God, I don't have the strength to do this. Mm. I don't want to be here. There's so much that he put me through. Are you serious right now? Mm. <laughs> you know, am I spending the night here? You know, there's all kinds of questions raging. Right. There's so much stuff that is unfilled. Like, like there, there's so much residue there. Yeah. And yet, and yet you're there. You're present. Mm. And somehow the spirit is working through you and you're like, maybe this is leading somewhere. Wow. So that's, that's my, my mental process that, that I went through, through, through that season. That, that's, that's, that's incredible. Um, I can count maybe on one hand the amount of times that I've experienced what you're saying. And each time uh, having the courage to lean in to those moments has, has radically changed my life. And I'm, I'm guessing it has changed yours. Mm. I'm guessing it's changed his. We only have a, a few more moments before we got to wrap this one up. We'll, what we'll do is we'll actually continue this, this train of thought, this idea of empathizing uh, in the next episode. But give us kind of a teaser. Where is this heading towards? What, what are we going to start to see taking place as you're there for him in this time of crisis? Yeah, so 
you know, with empathy. And it's a lesson that I had to learn. People don't need sympathy. They need empathy. And sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy drives really, really close, intimate connection. And that's what we began to form. And what transpired was that he eventually came one Sabbath morning and finally recognized me as the senior pastor of the church and said, Pastor, happy Sabbath. Wow. And he, he talked to his you know, group, about 40, 50 of them. He said, he now has my utmost and utmost support. We're not going to oppose him on anything that he does. So we had 100% support from him. Wow. And from there, from there, all of the decisions that was made in regards to growing young as a church and growing together as a church, he was on the forefront encouraging people to go on this journey. So who then once a as someone that hated you and opposed you now became your utmost supporter and proponent to all the cause that you wanted to pursue yeah. in that church context. So that's a little teaser. Yeah, that, that's incredible. That That is the power of empathy. Uh, we see this modeled in Jesus' life. He was someone who, who, was, who knew what it was like to go through stuff. And he was there for people, supported them. Doesn't always endorse the actions that are taking place in the process, but he's there for people. And uh, yes. man, what a beautiful story. Justin, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm looking forward to catching up in next week's episode as we continue the story, talking about empathy and how to uh, help our church grow young. We'll talk to you guys in the next week. God bless.